Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Elliot. I will be your guest preacher this evening. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I should introduce myself. I went to school with your pastor, Pastor Chris, and uh, I currently attend Bellingham Covenant Church, uh, and I know some of you from there uh, when you you used to go there. And um, about a year ago, Chris invited me to preach on a day much like today in July when it was very hot, and um, Chris said, you can preach on any text you want. And I decided that I would preach on a text from Leviticus, which in hindsight was maybe not the best decision um, to preach on the book of the Bible where um, most people abandon their plans of reading through the entire Bible. Uh, But I did it. We made it through together. And uh, hopefully this time around, uh, I'm preaching on uh, Matthew, I'm continuing your series on the Gospel of Matthew, so hopefully this time around uh, it will be uh, more exciting, more easy to pay attention. Uh, but if I am going on too long, if one of you could just pass out, then <laughs> I'll know that it's time to wrap it up. So uh, this passage uh, that I'm going to preach on may seem a little bit like uh, you've heard it before. Uh, it starts off with Jesus predicting his death, which he has done before in the the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and his disciples come to him and ask about being the greatest and having positions of authority, uh, which they've also done before, uh, very uh, soon before. In fact, um, they had asked Jesus who the greatest in the kingdom was in chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, I'm sure you uh, heard a sermon on that uh, in, uh, in recent weeks. And that was not, by the way, an idle question. Uh, I'm sure you you learned that. Uh, They weren't asking something like, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin, Jesus? Or how much wood would a woodchuck chuck? If a woodchuck could chuck wood. This was not a question that, you know, they just kind of pulled out of thin air. They asked about who was greatest in the kingdom because they wanted to be the greatest in the kingdom. And they were sly about it. Uh, they, when they asked Jesus, they uh, asked, you know, hypothetically, if somebody were to want to be greatest in the kingdom, how, you, how would you do that? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> no, they, they asked because they wanted to be the greatest. And then uh, in the passage that was just read in the scripture reading, uh, just one chapter before, Peter had asked, uh, basically, what is in this following you for us? Uh, We have left everything. We've made a commitment. Um, We want to see a a return on this investment of our time. Are we going to get rewarded or what? Uh, And even at the Last Supper, after this this passage takes place, according to Luke 22, uh, the disciples get into an argument about who is the greatest. Uh, Just shortly before Jesus uh, is crucified, the, 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 the disciples are still arguing about Uh, who the greatest is. And uh, it's easy to be harsh on the disciples, but uh, uh, we shouldn't uh, shouldn't judge them. We shouldn't be too harsh on them because uh, we all want to do things that matter. Uh, We all want to do uh, significant things. We all want to uh, have an impact 
on the world, and we may not all want to be famous or powerful or uh, wealthy, but we all want to live lives that, that make a difference, uh, much like the disciples did. And Jesus actually doesn't condemn his disciples for uh, their desire for significance, uh, for their, their ambition, but, uh, and he doesn't condemn our desire for significance either, but he does tell us uh, the path to significance, and he says that uh, it's not what we normally think it is. So I'm going to uh, read our scripture, and if you could please rise while I do that. <clears throat> it's Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 28. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, or the nations, uh, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave." just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for um, those who wrote it down. Uh, Lord, we pray that uh, by your spirit, you will uh, drive the truth of your word into our hearts uh, and enable us to apply it to our lives. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to take a look at this text under three headings. First will be the wrong way to pursue significance. Uh, The second one is the right way to pursue significance. And then then finally, how we can take this path to significance. So, first, the wrong way to pursue significance. Basically, don't do what James and John and their mother did. The second point... No. Uh, Let let me unpack that a little bit. What exactly did they do? And by the way, I want to focus on what they did, not so that we can um, sneer at them or feel superior to them and uh, think about how how stupid they were to to, uh, pursue significance um, in the way that they did when Jesus had just predicted his death, but uh, so that we can think about ways in which uh, we sometimes do the same thing. So the first thing that they did was they tried to uh, grab power for themselves. And this was kind of the, the overarching thing that they did, the, the main thing that they did. They knew that Jesus had power. Uh, they had seen it in his, uh, in his ministry. And they also knew that Jesus was going up to 
Jerusalem, and they figured that uh, things were kind of coming to a head in his ministry. Uh, something big was going to happen, and they figured that uh, they should, you know, get, uh, get their seats at the table while they still could, while Jesus was still uh, on the way up, as it were. They were basically putting themselves first. And one way in which they did this was they tried to uh, work the system, is, is how I'd describe it. So their mother, uh, it isn't readily ev- evident from the text, but uh, a lot of scholars believe that their mother uh, was uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus' sister. And I don't have to uh, draw a family tree to let you know that that means that she may have been Jesus' aunt. Uh, so they may have been uh, related. Uh, and the reason why many scholars believe that is because they compare uh, different texts in the Gospels where um, lists are given of people who are watching Jesus' crucifixion. So it says Mary was there and, and the, all these other people. Uh, and even though uh, she's not mentioned by name in the Gospel of Matthew, if you compare it with other Gospels, uh, you can kind of figure it out. Uh, so it's not certain that she was Jesus' aunt, but uh, a lot of scholars argue that. So anyway, uh, if she was Jesus' aunt, the, James and John and their mother were um, trying to, to working, work the family connection for their own advantage. They were uh, a little bit closer to Jesus, maybe, than some of the other disciples, and so they uh, wanted to use that um, in any way that they could. But even if their mother wasn't Jesus' aunt, uh, in that society, uh, older women had authority. They were the, the matriarchs. Um, Think of the, the old lady in my big fat Greek wedding. She was crazy, but everybody respected her. Um, so she had weight. Uh, what, she, uh, what she did and what she said uh, had importance, and everyone listened to her. And we kind of do a similar thing sometimes that, the, that, the, um, that James and John do when they ask their mother to, to uh, ask Jesus if they can be great, uh, we kind of know deep down that, uh, especially if we have spent any time in the church, that it's kind of bad form to campaign openly for uh, a position that we might want. And so we kind of get somebody else to do it for us. Uh, we could just kind of make it known that, well, if this position came open, I would uh, be interested um, and so you, you do see that in, in a lot of churches. You see it on a, a large scale anytime there's an election of a pope. Uh, they, whenever all of the cardinals go into their conclave, uh, all of the media talks about how the next pope is being elected, and uh, everybody knows that among the cardinals, it's kind of bad form for you to say, I think I would be a great next pope. And you put up uh, posters all over the Sistine Chapel with your... <laughs> with your smiling face on it. No, you're not, uh, you're not supposed to do that. I don't know if there's an official rule against that, but nobody does that. Uh, instead, what happens is uh, there are other people who will campaign on your behalf, and that's kind of how you uh, get elevated in the church. And that's kind of a similar thing to what James and John were doing here. Uh, it, was, uh, it was bad form to campaign openly, but they kind of let their, their mother do it for them. Another thing that they did was they tried to ride someone else's coattails. They knew that Jesus was greater than they were. Uh, He was going to uh, be on the throne soon. I mentioned they were on their way up to Jerusalem. They knew that something big was going to happen. Um, 
and they wanted to follow Jesus up the ladder of success uh, without making the same kinds of sacrifices that Jesus had to. And so when Jesus asked them in verse 22, can you drink the same cup that I'm going to drink? Uh, Their response is so quick that it almost seems flippant. Like, what's that, Jesus? Oh yeah, we we can drink that cup. Just add it to our bill. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, they didn't count the cost or even really understand uh, what it was that they were asking. They wanted all of the rewards without taking any of the risk. Another thing that they did was they put themselves ahead of others, uh, specifically the other disciples. In verse uh, 24, when the other ten disciples heard about it, they were indignant. Not because they thought that James and John did the wrong thing, but because they got there first. The other disciples were mad because James and John asked Jesus before everybody else got a chance to. They, uh, they stole their idea. For all the disciples, power and significance, uh, at least at that time, was a zero-sum game. Basically, if uh, one of them was elevated, the others had to be lower. If I win, you have to lose. Um, And if power in that situation is a zero-sum game, then I'm going to do everything possible, including going behind your back, to make sure that I win. It's kind of the way that the disciples saw each other. Uh, They were kind of jockeying with uh, with each other for, for position. So that's what this passage tells us about uh, the wrong way to pursue significance. And here's the right way. Basically, there are two, two elements to it. The right way to pursue significance is to serve others and to imitate Jesus. First, serve others. Jesus says in verse 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. In verse 27, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Again, he doesn't necessarily condemn the disciples' desire to uh, be significant or, or to uh, have a, an impact on the world, but he says servanthood is the way to significance. And deep down, we kind of know this already, don't we, on some level? Um, the people that get the most admiration or respect and uh, fame sometimes are uh, people like you know, Martin Luther King Jr. or Mother Teresa and people who were significant because they were servants. They could have taken power for themselves uh, and even they could have rationalized taking power for themselves by saying, you know, if I take all this power, I could help way more people. Um, But they didn't. And by the way, the most subtle temptation regarding significance is the temptation to take power uh, for yourself, but for a quote-unquote good reason. This was actually Jesus' temptation back in Matthew 4 when Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, "Um, all these I will give to you if you just bow down and worship me. Um, Just take power for yourself. It'll be for a good cause. You'll help so many more people that way uh, and you won't have to suffer. But what Jesus is saying basically is that when you grab after power for yourself, you actually lose power, and it's a temptation to be resisted. And that's not to say that we should never occupy uh, positions of any kind of power. Um, Even uh, even parenthood is a 
a kind of position with power uh, where you have uh, uh, power over your children when they're uh, smaller than you are and, and have to do what you say or you know, they still kind of have to do what you say even if they complain about doing it. Um, so it's not that we should never uh, occupy positions of power, but uh, only that we shouldn't necessarily um, seek to have power over uh, other people, other, our peers. And if we are ever in uh, positions of power, we should be servants. So that is the, uh, the first way to pursue significance. The second way is to imitate Jesus. So Jesus sets himself up as our example uh, in verse 28, he says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So Jesus had all the power and all the authority in the world, and yet he humbled himself, and he went willingly to his own death, even though he knew exactly what was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem. And Paul kind of picks up on this later in uh, his letter to the Philippians. He says, Uh, treating Jesus as an example, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, and he made himself a servant, uh, even unto death on the cross. And therefore, when Jesus humbled himself, he was elevated and gained the name above every name. So when you imitate Jesus, you humble yourself, and then God, seeing that humility, will lift you up. That is uh, the path to significance and to influence, according to Jesus. So finally, after we've seen the bad path to significance and the good path to significance, how can we ourselves take this path to significance? Um, One objection, perhaps, Uh, to this way of pursuing significance is that it's all very well and good to say, be a servant and imitate Jesus, but you may be wondering, uh, who's going to look out for me if I don't look out for myself? Am I going to just let people, you know, roll all over me, just roll over and uh, let people run over me? Well, uh, no. First of all, because being a servant is not a passive thing, but an active uh, decision. Uh, so you're not going to, to roll over at all and be passive. Uh, but the main answer to this kind of objection is, uh, who will look out for you if you, pursue, if you pursue significance the way Jesus commands? Well, God will. And I can't say this any better than uh, the 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards, who uh, in the, his book on uh, 1 Corinthians 13 wrote, If you are selfish and you make yourself and your own private interest your idol, God will leave you to yourself and let you promote your own interests as well as you can. So if you want to look out for your number one, Edwards is saying, God will let you do it. But you'll find out soon enough that you may not know your own interests even as well as you thought you did. He he goes on to say, but if you, do, if you do not selfishly seek your own, but do seek the things that are Jesus Christ's and the things of your own fellow human beings, then God will make your interest and happiness his own charge. And he is infinitely more able to provide for and promote it than you are. The resources of the universe move at his bidding, and he can easily command them all to subserve your welfare, so that 
not to seek your own in the selfish sense is the best way of seeking your own in a better sense. It is the directest course you can take to secure your highest happiness. So he's saying if you want happiness, the best way to do it is by not seeking your own interests in the selfish sense. That will ultimately serve your interests in the better sense. So, okay, you might say, how do I know God will look out for me? Well, uh, Jesus actually talks about this a little bit in this passage. uh, And he says, basically, he already has. The thing Jesus says in verse 28 at the very end of our passage is uh, the key to making all of this work, uh, all of this uh, path to significance through servanthood. A thing that ultimately enables us to take this path is um, that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom, he says. Uh, Now, this word ransom is a word that we don't talk about or that we don't use very much. Uh, We only use it in the context of kidnapping, usually, or in uh, Mel Gibson movies from the 90s, which was kind of also about kidnapping. Um, But the word ransom, as Jesus uses it, and as Jesus uses it, um, what it meant in the ancient world was uh, it was used to describe the, the price that was used to set slaves free. Uh, it was also used to uh, describe uh, the price that was paid to set prisoners of war free. So in the ancient world, there was no Geneva Convention. So you didn't, uh, when you were a prisoner of war, you didn't get to uh, you know, sit in a prisoner of war camp and wait for your side to to win the war or to uh, purchase you or, or to get, get you back, you actually were sold into slavery. And so uh, this word ransom was the, the price that was paid to, uh, to set you free, to set you loose. It's also related to the, the word for uh, loose. And Paul actually makes a connection between uh, Jesus' ransom and the way we are to to live in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says Jesus gave himself for us to redeem. Uh, The the word redeem uses the same root word as ransom. uh, To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his his very own, eager to do what is good. Seeing Jesus as a ransom actually makes us eager to do good. It actually changes our, our motivation. Because if we see that Jesus says, if you want to be great, become a servant, uh, and we decide to do that in our own power, if we try to earn our significance through servanthood, we're going to eventually burn out. We're going to encounter uh, people who are not grateful for our service um, who, and who may ne- never be grateful for our service, uh, and eventually, if we try to do that, the, try to do this out of our own power, uh, we're going to get tired of doing it. But when we see Jesus as our ransom, as giving himself for us, that gives us ultimately all the significance we're ever going to need. The only way to gain significance in this life is to realize that we are already significant enough for Jesus to serve us and to give his life for us so that we don't necessarily have to Uh, gain our significance from being a servant. 
And we don't just get significance from seeing Jesus as our ransom, but we also get the joy that we need to sustain us uh, as we serve. Uh, I alluded to this when I mentioned uh, Titus 2.14, where, where Paul says that seeing Jesus as a ransom makes us eager to do good. When you come to realize uh, deep inside yourself that Jesus came to serve you and that he gave himself as a ransom for you, you'll be happy to spend your life serving out of gratitude. You won't serve because you'll think you'll get recognized for it someday. You're happy to serve because he served you first. You see, Jesus gave his life as a ransom even when his disciples were arguing about which one of them was going to be the greatest. He gave his life when James and John, the same people who came to ask him about uh, having positions of authority, when they couldn't even stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus was crucified. And when Jesus was lifted on, up on the cross that next day, it wasn't James and John who were on his left and on his right, but it was two criminals. And in that moment, when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, that's when he was uh, in his fullest glory. That's when he was shown to be the King of Israel and the Savior of the world. Jesus went as low as possible to serve you, to be a ransom for you. Wouldn't you want to spend your life serving someone like that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being a servant. We thank you for coming and for uh, serving your disciples and us um, even before uh, they or we understood what you were doing, uh, when we were still confused about where significance and where greatness came from. Lord, we pray that uh, seeing you as a ransom is setting us free from uh, evil and sin and, and wickedness. Uh, seeing you as a ransom will uh, give us the joy that we need to serve you with uh, singing hearts. Amen.